0: Okay. Wow, I'm like right, right here. Have you all gotten the text for the course yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now I'm not going to be teaching from the book, just so you know. Uh, so it's just supplementary. All right. Uh, those of you who read the book, is there anything you just kind of got from that you'd like to kind of share, or or is it just sort of a random thing here? Anything? A yes. verses say narratives for example and I would apply them directly to my life or I would like just I I just feel like incorrectly take out different verses instead of I mean reading paragraph by paragraph looking at themes like like, I just never read it like that right so I think I was pretty shocked by just even their examples of what they took from certain passages or how I've incorrectly applied different things so I think it was I mean for informative. Very dense, but informative. <laughs> Uh-oh! This spotlight just came on. Your star, John. No, I don't want. I don't want a spotlight. I can't see anything. These lights are Why did it just come on for no particular reason? They're just, just they just randomly do what they're going to do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to get out. Oh, there, there you go. Have the oh, oh, oh. I have no idea. All right, great. Uh, so uh, we've got our class syllabus. I, was the syllabus sent out? Did everybody get it? No, I didn't. The syllabus? No. Well, I didn't bring copies. I've got one extra copy. No, did anybody get the syllabus? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. You got it. Okay, good. So, um, yeah, so that, that's the goal of this class is so that as you're reading the Bible you can actually understand it. That's, that's kind of the general idea, right? And I, I don't think we should assume that either that we know how to do that or that our members know how to do that, all right? Uh, but uh, one of the goals here is uh, uh, be sufficiently inspired by acquiring the skills to pass them along to those in our ministries, right? Because as goes this group here, so goes the church as far as, as, far as you know, understanding the scriptures. All right, great. So uh, just a couple of definitions. Uh, the, 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 yes? Can I ask a uh, For your classes, like to learn the best, do you suggest we take notes? Like, can we yes, take you should take notes. Like, how do you... No, please. Hopefully you are. I assume okay, you're you taking notes. Your yeah. okay. Hmm? Are we going to get access here? Yeah, PowerPoint? so um, I, I, at my website right after this afternoon, I'm going to post the PowerPoint. I'm going to post my notes and I'm also going to post the audio, so if there's somebody misses the class, they can listen to the class, or you can go review, yes. And my notes are, you know, three or four times as much detail as the PowerPoint. And in fact, I'm going to reference occasionally, well, there's this one thing that you should read in your spare time, because I'm not going to go over it right now, okay? Yeah? Where did you say we were going to find this source? At uh, my website, oh, yeah. evidenceforchristian.org, or, um, you know, just Google my name and you'll find my website. It'll just be, I don't know, class on hermeneutics? Something really hard to figure out like that? I, I assume, anyway. I, I didn't come up with the title. Probably hermeneutics. <laughs> All right, good. So you'll have no problem. Okay, so hermeneutics, then, is the systematic study of the principles and methods of interpretation. Now, that's what hermeneutics means in ge- general, but we're talking about biblical hermeneutics. So how to interpret the Bible. In other words... <coughs> <clears throat> how to find the meaning of what you're reading. Okay, and probably a word that you maybe are even more likely to hear is the word exegesis, right? All right, and, and so that's the the role of the preacher, presumably, is to impart the meaning that they glean from studying the Scriptures. So exegesis involves... Is basically explaining the meaning of the text so hopefully as we're preaching or teaching or doing devotionals we're doing exegesis which is bringing out the meaning of the scriptures to those who are hearing now you might think that hermeneutics and exegesis are the same thing and i you know they're kind of two sides of the coin i guess so hermeneutics is what you do all right. As you're trying to understand the meaning of the text, an exegesis is how is a, uh, how you impart that information to other people. Okay. And so um, I'm I'm not including exegesis because the bottom line is that we're going to have several like like uh, Guillermo mentioned practical classes, practical ministry classes, and presumably whoever does that, maybe it'll be Robert, maybe it'll be Guillermo. They'll talk about preaching, and at that point, we'll talk about exegesis. All right? And I, I believe we need more exegesis in our preaching in general on, rather than topical sermons. I think topical sermons are useful and good, there's nothing wrong with them. But uh, by, by the way, if you do exegetical preaching, it's actually easier because <laughs> then the scripture writes your sermon instead of you writing your sermon. And that's always an advantage to have the scripture write your sermon for you. All right? It, it is. Technically easier, all right. And then homiletics—that's another fancy word. Homiletics is basically the process of you go from here's what the writer meant when when he or she said this to these people in that situation. Then homiletics is uh, then now let's apply that to the current situation. Okay. In fact, if you read um, a lot of commentaries. They'll actually divide, they'll give you a scripture there. They'll do the hermeneutics, and then they'll do the exegesis, and then they'll do the homiletics. Now, when you read a... Yeah? In the book, it it has it the other way around. Okay. It says, exegesis, this involves careful systematic study of the scripture to discover the original intended meaning. And that... All right. uh, Okay, fine. I'm not going to debate with that author, but... Uh, to me, X means out of, all right, so you're taking the meaning out of, and so are they saying hermeneutics is is explaining to other people? They say hermeneutics is the application of what you find in your exegesis to current day. No, well, normally that would be homiletics, which is preaching. I, you know, I don't mean to debate that author. Uh, they're probably know more what they're talking about than I do, but that's. All right, the, the classic meaning from having taken courses on this is the one I've given, uh, So, but okay, that's this is such an embarrassing start to my class to have the textbook uh, disagree with what I'm saying. Uh, the other one it does say is hermeneutics, and I'm just trying to match, right? All right, what's the definition that that author is giving? Um, ordinarily covers the whole field of interpretation. Right. Right. And is used in the sense of seeking the contemporary relevance of ancient text. Yes. Okay, good. All right. Uh, so uh, the, the difference is therefore a little bit less than it might seem at first, but I guess we don't have to worry too much about that. The, the main thing is to understand the role here is for me to help you learn how to understand the meaning. and then, uh, And then... The next step, which whatever the definitions of the terms are, (laughs) the next step is learning how to impart that knowledge to the people you're speaking to, which is not the principal thing that we're involved in right now. And then uh, making practical application, bringing it up to date, which is, I think, what most of y'all who do much preaching at all are already pretty good at. The guys that I see, uh, uh, they seem to be already doing a pretty good job there. All right. And that's good. Now, eisegesis, there's another wor- word that means uh, reading into the text. That's what we don't want to do. Unfortunately, we tend to do that when, when other groups do it. You notice it. But when you do it, you tend to not notice that. And uh, uh, X means out of and ice means into. All right. And so, by the way, uh, you can go back to Acts 2 for the whole X versus ice thing. But uh, eisegesis is reading meaning into the text which was not there in the original. That's a really bad idea. All right, so I'm going to argue, based on my definition, whether or not the textbook agrees with me or not, doesn't really matter. Uh, Oh, yeah, so actually, you know what? The textbook would have this order. Yes, yes. Yes. But the definition I'm using, I'm putting this one first and then exegesis. So there you go. Um, Even my notes disagree with me, so... (laughs) All right. Anyway, why is this important? Well, 2 Timothy 2:15 Paul admonishes the guy he's raising up in the ministry there. 2 Timothy 2:15. All right. And I take uh Paul's admonition to Timothy to be an admonition to anybody who's a minister, because that's kind of why the the books are even there, says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The literal sense is who rightly divides. So they can take the scripture and then correctly bring out the meaning of the text All right. In order to impart it to the people that you're you're ministering to, all right. And uh, he says to you know, to be one approved. And I don't know about you, but I I personally would want to be approved of God rather than not approved of God. And if we don't correctly handle the scriptures, we're dishonoring God, and that's not good. And the fact is, all of us do mishandle the scriptures at times. All right. All right, so uh, I was, One time I was in the Philippines a few years ago and I said to one of the guys, you know, we have false doctrine in our church. And, and the, the guy, uh, he was driving, lucky he didn't go off the road. I mean, he couldn't believe that I would say that we have false teaching in our church. Uh, and, and I said, well, you know, do we teach exactly now what we taught five years ago? Well, no. Well, then <laughs> when did we get perfect? I mean, so we always have to work on this stuff. Uh, another scripture that I, could, I suppose I could use to scare you uh, which is Second Peter 3.16, where uh, Peter says there are people who are reading what Paul's saying and distorting it, and they're doing it to their own destruction. So, I mean, in the, in the greatest extreme version of this, your salvation and the salvation of those who hear you is to some extent related to whether you're doing good hermeneutics. In yeah. other words, uh, understanding what the Scripture says. Uh, Nehemiah eight eight. Is a passage where it describes how uh, what they were doing was they were reading the scriptures and then they were giving the sense of it. So that's what this was going on in Ezra. So you can see a Bible teacher, and Ezra is kind of considered sort of the, the model Bible teacher, if you will, from the Old Testament. And so what they were doing was they were reading the scripture and then it says, and making it clear, giving the meaning. So that people could understand what's being read. That's, you know, uh, again, one of the things we do is we inspire people as we preach, but we also need to be <laughs> teaching them and accurately handling the scriptures. Now, there's a lot of reasons we tend to not do a good job here, and so there are some tendencies, and 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 let's not apply this to the to the Catholics or the presbyterians or the baptists because that's a waste of our time to true. play this to them let's apply it to ourselves all right uh, so one thing we could do is I, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation but i've had this where I'm, I'm doing a bible study or teaching something and what i do is i read another version another translation and i realize oh what i've been reading in the niv is probably not even true you know have, have you ever had that moment yeah. all right and so you know what i'm tempted to do we'll just teach it anyway you know what i'm saying because it it's been working up till now, so why not? I mean, it's it's perfectly good. But I, I think we can't afford to have that attitude. All right? You know, and there's some classic examples of the Bible being used even within, yes, even within our movement. Oh yeah. Uh the classic one, Proverbs twenty-nine eighteen, for lack of vision, the people perish. So we have to give people vision. Well, that's not what that scripture is saying, okay? the scripture saying for lack of hearing the word preached i mean in in the context we'll talk about context in this class in the context he's talking about people are not hearing preaching they're not hearing the word spoken to them and and of course to, for us vision the word vision means you know a visionary person right but you know now by the way i think the people need vision and i suppose it might even be true that unless people have vision, if we don't, as leaders, provide them with great vision, they might perish. Okay, fine. But that's not what that scripture says. Now, it's tempting to use that scripture in that way. In fact, I bet at least one or two people in this room have used Proverbs 29. Yes, okay, we've got two people back there who have used it that way. And the bottom line is, just don't do it. Just don't do it. You know, probably uh, if... If there's no scripture that says what you're trying to say, then just say it anyway and admit maybe that I'm just trying to encourage you. The yeah. uh, classic one that has been abused by a certain member of our movement who's no longer a member of our movement, but leading another movement, uh, you know, you might know who I'm talking about, <clears throat> is the way uh, he, that person, used to use Matthew one eleven, twelve, 12, you know, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And forceful men are taking hold of it. So we need to be forceful and we need to advance the kingdom, right? But that's not what that scripture is saying. What it's saying is the forceful people are taking the Christians and throwing them in jail and getting them all messed up. So the forceful people in that scripture are the enemies of all God's right. people. Now, do we need some forceful people? I guess. I don't know. Maybe. I don't even know if we really need forceful people. I don't know. I think we need loving, gentle, kind people who, who preach powerfully, but to use Matthew 11:12 in that context, that is embarrassing. Very true. All right. And, and so again, you know, I'm sure nobody went to hell because somebody used that verse in that way, I guess. But, you know, we shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff, right? We we just shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. Another thing that we can do is use the Bible in an unbalanced way. So Now, now that's not specifically in mind here. My, mainly, my role in this class is to teach you simply how to read the Bible and understand it. But one of the things we're, we're going to talk about is, is kind of finding the correct balance of truth. All right? And you can prove anything you want by taking scriptures out of context. All right? You can find five verses that say this. And then you don't you fail to notice the 27 verses that say something that it's not like it contradicts that, but it kind of balances out. And you don't read those things. So, and uh, so, uh, you know, the the you know you can you could become a, a total legalist and and back it up with lots and lots of scriptures, or you could be grace grace grace, love love love. Don't really have to do anything, just be nice and and, and pray once in a while, and you're going to heaven and everything's great. And, and you could prove any of those things. And, and our job as leaders, as teachers, as preachers, as devotional leaders, is to, prevent, is to present a balanced teaching. So that involves not simply knowing how to interpret the Scriptures, but it, it, teaches, it involves being able to sit back from the Scriptures and, and, and ask what is being said on balance here. I'm not going to talk about a lot about that in this class, but that's something to, to uh, bear in mind. Now, another thing that I, I'm going to talk about actually a fair amount in this class is confusing command from principle. That causes so many problems. So we'll read the book of Proverbs and say, the Bible here is commanding you to do such and such. It is not doing that thing. <laughs> you know, Raise the child, the child in the ways you go and they will not depart from it. Well, that's true as a proverb, but it's not true as a promise. That is not a promise. That's a principle. Uh, The classic one, and I'll I'll bring this up again, is 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. That is not a commandment, just so you know. It is not a commandment. If it was a commandment, then uh, you just have to take all your yokes that you have in your garage and make sure you break them apart. And whatever you do, even if you keep them in your garage, make sure you don't you know, stand next to a, a, an unbeliever and and put the yoke <clears throat> on you and that person. I mean, seriously, that is not a commandment. All right, it is a principle, and if you understand, all right, this is a principle. Then we apply principles in one way, and we apply commandments in another way. All right, so uh, I, I've got this example here. All right, so just a little side discussion: Is gambling a sin? Uh, That's not a totally accurate answer. All right. Yeah, it kind of depends, actually. All right. So, but if you're going to try to show, because for some people it is a sin. I mean, for some people it is flat out a sin, right? So, but how are you going to handle that? Well, you're going to have to handle it by going to principal scriptures, right? Right. And then you're going to have to do some hermeneutics slash exegesis, so you're going to have to read the Scripture and explain that this is a principle. Yeah. And, then, and then what you can do is you can ask the person, would, how would this principle apply to gambling? Alright, right, so 1 Corinthians 4.2, which says, those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So God has entrusted you with these resources. Would gambling be a faithful way to use those resources? Alright, or Romans 14.19-21. Says, you know, whatever you do, make sure it's not a stumbling block to somebody else. So if you've got a best friend who's got a major gambling problem, are you going to go out gambling and post on Facebook, it's "So great, we're here, and you know, and you know, this is we're having this great time gambling for the Lord," you know? And you got people in the church who are addicted to gambling. Is that a is that a really great idea? All right, but these are principles, right? And if you tell them. You know, what you did right there is a sin and you don't explain that based on a principle rather than on a command. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Okay, great. Uh, okay, I th- I think I lost the slide here. Okay, that's fine. Close enough. All right, so advantages of doing good hermeneutics. The, the main thing is, I guess, is for yourself, right? It's because you're going to get more out of your own personal Bible study. All right, so... Um, uh, for me, uh, when I read the Scripture and I understand it, I like to think that I actually gain more from it. Because a lot of times what we do is we read our thoughts, what we've heard, what we believe, we read it into the Scripture instead of taking something from the Scripture, and then guess how much we learn from the Scripture? Right. Nothing! I don't know about you, but... You know, when we have a, a, a group Bible study, we'll read a scripture, and then I'll ask the people there, so what's this scripture saying? And then people say just their opinion, right? And yeah. Right. And when, when they do that, although I try to be gentle with the visitors, Amen. but when the members do that, I try to, I just say, no, that's not what that scripture says. All right. So, all right. So, No, 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 let's please read it and and tell me what it actually says. All right, and so to me, our small group Bible studies, people come to our group, they they know this. uh, You know, we're getting trained in a little hermeneutics there. And and, and it's funny because after a little while, people, because they know they're going to get somebody telling them that that's probably not that, you know, that's not what it says. After a while, they learn to start actually reading it and, you know, to actually find out what's actually saying, which is really a good practice. Uh, all right? And, uh, you know, uh, let, let me just give one example. All right, so for example, in 1 Peter three seven, it says, Husbands, respect your wives. Okay? okay? And then in Ephesians 5.33, it says, Wives, respect your husbands. So, therefore... It's exactly the same, right? All right, let me, let me do it again. First Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, respect your wives. Great. Okay, great. And then in Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, respect your husbands. So it's equal, right? Yeah. No, it's not equal. Uh-huh. It because is. in Thank the you. Greek, those are two very, very different words. <laughs> okay? So when it says, Husbands, respect your wives, it's like, put them up on a pedestal. Uh, not exactly worship them, but you know, treat them as like really really special. Like like you know, the way the bride gets treated at a, a wedding. So husbands respect your wives as in that sense. Lift her up in front of other people and make her be the one that the attention goes to that rather than yourself. Something like that. When it says, wives, respect your husbands, it's more like obey. You know, it's more like, you know, yes, sir. It's, it's, it's actually a military term. Now, I'm not trying to teach anything to the wives and husbands here right now. That's not my point. That's not my point. Uh, and that's, that's not why I use this example, I promise. All right, I promise. But the fact is, no, that's not the same thing. And it's it's kind of be good if you're going to use these scriptures to know what they actually mean, okay? Because the word respect in English has a number of different meanings, does it not? All right. Yes. All right. So 1 Timothy four thirteen. You know, basically, if we do so, we'll save both ourselves and our hearers. So the salvation's as stake. Okay. Great. All right. Why does hermeneutics work? This is worth noting here. Okay. For. The points I'm going to make right here are so basic, I could have skipped them. But if you're going to kind of impart these things to the people in your region, in your ministries, maybe you can't assume this so much. One of the reasons that hermeneutics works is because it is the Word of God. All right? In other words, I mean, you could... For example, remember when you're in high, high school, you read these books and they'd, the, then the teacher would interpret it and th- this is what this symbol means, yeah. the sun rising, it's because, blah, blah. But then if you ask the author, the author said, that's not what I meant at all by that. In fact, I didn't even know it was a symbol. It was just the sun rising, you know what I'm saying? But with the scriptures, it's not that way. This is the inspired word of God. So you can delve in as deep as you want. Now, there's, case, there's such a thing as over-interpreting, and we... Ne- for example, with parables, you can overinterpret, but even even in that, there's principles for it. Alright? Uh, so uh 2 Peter 1, 19 through 20. You know, men spoke from God, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16. It's all inspired. Uh 1 Thessalonians 2 13. You've received it as a, what it actually is the word of God. And it's been accurately transmitted to us. So uh so although uh, how many here uh, speak Greek? Oh. By the way, I'm not raising my hand because I don't either, okay? And I've got some good news for you, which is you really do not have to know Greek to get uh, almost as perfect an understanding as you could possibly have. Amen. Because we have so many tools available to us. Mm. I would claim, and maybe it's a little crazy, but I would claim that we have so many tools to, available to us, especially who speak English to understand the, the, the context, the history, the meanings of words, that we could literally understand the words Paul wrote to Corinth as well as people who lived in Corinth could understand the words that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth. Because right. we know stuff about Paul that they didn't know. And, and we know, you know, so, uh, so I believe that um, we have these, even though we're looking at translations, we have the tools to understand these things. The Bible is perfect after all. And it is understandable, Deuteronomy 29.29. 29, Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. This is uh, Moses reflecting on the things that he's actually sharing with the people at that time in that context. Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. All right. He says... The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. So the things that have been revealed, we can understand them. They are understandable. And besides, the Bible is complete. You're not going to have to say, oh, by the way, now that there's a new scripture, yeah, you know. Uh, given this, maybe I need to change my view on this because there, this new thing that came out of the Bible. I don't know about you, but I, I have this weird sort of, you know, I have certain repeating dreams. I have this dream that I'm reading the Bible and like, whoa, what's a new book! I have not seen that one before. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not a dream yet. Never mind, you never had that one. Alright. And another reason hermeneutics works is because the Bible's inspired on every possible level. For example, if you look at Galatians 3.16, Paul makes an argument for the meaning of a verse in the Old Testament based on the fact that a word was singular as opposed to plural. All right, that's how inspired the Bible is. Now, especially in doctrinal kind of things. Now, if you're reading poetry, then, you know, you don't want to, Dig that deeply into the literal meaning of every possible word. Don't even try to do that. That's a mistake when you're reading poetry. But when you're reading things like Romans or Ephesians or or Leviticus or, or Numbers, where these are doctrinal kind of writings, even down to the very tense of a verb, Matthew 23, 31 through 33, Jesus interprets Exodus based on the tense of a verb, whether it's the past tense or the present tense. So it is justifiable for us to look at the Bible this carefully. Okay? In Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, not even one of those accent marks, which weren't even in the original, (laughs) because the original Hebrew didn't have them. Not even those things will disappear. So the Bible is inspired. And hopefully you're inspired to know that the Bible's inspired. Which proves, see, the word inspired has more than one meaning. Okay, there you go. So you have to be careful with meanings of words. All right? Now, these are some things that if you allow these to creep in, you will not do a good job of interpreting or understanding the Scriptures. By the way, please stop me at any point. This is meant to be discussion, okay? Prejudice or preconceived ideas. How many of us have prejudice when we read the Bible? Alright, we have some people are too, oh there, thank you for raising your hand there. Alright, so, so we have to be aware of that. We have to understand our biases. And I, I think if you understand your biases and you can recognize it, you're in a better position. But, it, but all of us bring certain biases to the scriptures. Okay? Uh, pride. How many of you struggle with pride? Okay, good. Laziness. I wasn't asking you to raise your hand, but he's raising his hand. All right, good. Yeah, because, you know, the Bible says to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Okay, great. With all our soul. Oh, and with all our mind as well. You know what I'm saying? So God wants us to think deeply about the scriptures. All right. And that's really important. Uh, Wishful thinking. A lot of times we wish the Bible said it a different way. So we make it, say, in a different way, you know, yeah. so we don't notice those scriptures about judgment. We don't notice those scriptures about holiness. Hey, Corey, how's it going? All right, great. Uh, another thing is uh, I would throw in there is the clergy laity attitude. Of course, you you all are the, in quotes, clergy. You know what I'm saying? But it, there's a tendency, I, not so much in our church, but I, it's, I think even to some extent in our church, is it's the job of the preacher to tell me what the verse means here. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, that means, so what that means is 10% of the church thinks, the other 90% sort of absorb. It, it, that, to me, that's not a very efficient way for us to grow in our understanding of the, of the scriptures. Now again, if if this is true, that, then you guys would be the ones who would understand it well anyway. So maybe I'm speaking to the wrong group on this. But if I was teaching this class to everybody else, I'd mention that this is a really, really bad mistake. That if the guy if the guy or girl says this in a class or in a sermon, that means it's probably true. Well, okay, it is probably true, but we have to just you know we, we you know the, we do the old Berean you know, Acts 17 thing, all right, great, are we actually doing that? Mm. Uh, Another problem is, uh, is that uh, we want to be like the world. All right, all of us, I think, struggle with this on some level. And so, the the Bible lays out a standard that is a big challenge. Like, and so we soften it. All right, we use, you know, instead of calling it uh, fornication, we call it—I uh, don't know—making. We don't. We don't do that, but we don't soften it that much. But so there, I—you I, know—as we're reading the scriptures, I think we have to train ourselves to let the scriptures say what they say, That's true. and not read it through a cultural perspective or things like that. Uh, another problem with good hermeneutics is proof texting. So a lot of us, there's something we think is true. We have our favorite scripture on that one. And so we use that as what's called a proof text. And you know when you can detect proof text? It's when somebody else does it. All right? Uh, so, for example, we could use 1 Corinthians 13 to prove that there's not really any tongues or miracles going on anymore. Well, you know... You know what I'm talking about, right? Where the, the, these things... The, 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 the tongues of Cundell cease. Is that what that scripture is teaching? Well, yeah, yeah, may, maybe. It's possible. But probably, uh, we, you know, we have to avoid proof texting. Uh, uh, proof texting basically means here's what I'm trying to show and I find a scripture that couldn't be used to say that and there you go. We're done with that. Where Where you don't consider the possibility that you know, maybe possibly that scripture could possibly have a different meaning and so that your argument falls apart if that scripture has a different meaning. For example, people might use Romans 8 where it says, those he foreknew he also predestined, those he predestined he justified, those he justified he glorified. To say, you know, so there's two kinds of people, the elect and the the condemned, all right? And Calvinists do this all the time. It's a great proof text. But that's total nonsense. That is not what that scripture is teaching. All right. And so the best way to learn about proof texting probably is to watch somebody else do it. But then what you have to do is you have to be willing to do this, folks. You have to be willing to ask yourself, well, are we proof texting? And the answer is, of course we are. All right. And then we have to be willing to kind of not do it that way. Now, I I think to understand what I mean by proof texting, you know, it's possible you don't exactly, um, you know, that's a hard concept, to be honest with you, the the concept of a proof text. But just use that example in Romans 8, and they're, they're using that to prove that God decides who goes to heaven or to hell, and we have no role in that. But you know that's not true. But if you read that scripture... You know, Jesus says, you know, no one can take them out of my hands. See, no one, right? Jesus said that, right? Nobody can take them out of my hands. Therefore, nobody could fall away because no one could take them out of my hands. A proof text. Well, yeah, except, of course, they could because they could walk away. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have to be careful about proof texting. Appealing to authority. All right. uh, You know, I think denominations do this a lot more than we do. Uh, Assuming what is properly believed is true. This is a major problem in Christianity in general. Alright, so things that have been believed or we've thought were true for a long time, and we believe them primarily for that reason rather than uh, because that's what the Scriptures teach. Alright, and so, uh, so, for example... I'm going to use an example from outside of our church, so we can see how they do it, and maybe it might make you realize that maybe you do that. For example, you talk to somebody who's a premillennialist. That man, everybody believes in it. There's movies about it. There's books about it. It's on the radio, and at some point, that that becomes almost like a source of authority, almost. All right, and so maybe our ideas about church autonomy, maybe those are actually more the result of what we heard or thought or kind of the general idea that's out there uh, and so we need to be willing to um, te- we need to be willing to test those kind of things uh, lack of a plan all right I'm, I'm, again reasons why you may not be able to do you may not be doing a great job on scripture is you just don't have a plan in other words you're you're when you 're reading the scripture you you don't have an organized way of approaching what you're doing uh, you don't maybe the thought comes to mind you don't write it down and kind of check it out so you read something wow maybe 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 what I've been thinking on this is not true but, oh well, whatever you know all right we have to have a plan we have to be willing to um, approach this in a fairly systematic way. Uh, the next one I mentioned here is having a schismatic attitude uh, so basically. Uh, Using the scripture to defend your particular religious group's point of view and uh, looking to to use the Bible as a reason to divide from other people rather than to find uh, a common ground. All right? And so, uh, in other words, using the Bible to win arguments, essentially. And, you know, if you're right, then maybe it is appropriate to engage in an argument. All right? Uh, But I I think that... um, if, if, Especially if you're an argumentative type of person, you like proving people wrong, I, I think we can get some bad habits, and so they're actually right sometimes, you know, and we're actually wrong sometimes, all right, so another problem, all right, now the helps the good interpretation, by the way, we, in this class we want to do some actual learn. I'm just, this is all introductions, at some point we need to be trained how to interpret instead of all this introductory stuff. But uh, so go back to this list, uh, all right? So that helps. The good interpretation is to no longer be prejudiced, to to be humble, to you know be willing to work hard, to uh, you know etc. Okay. So, uh, but also common sense. I, I, aren't you glad to know that in most cases common sense answers the question? Yes. Uh, that's kind of good. Of course, that means you have to apply common sense <laughs> rather than your own prejudice. But it's sort of cool because a lot of times these, you know, you, you, you study the Bible, you know, once saved, always saved people or prayed Jesus to our people. And it's kind of nice to know that uh, in most cases, just common sense. I mean, you don't need to have hermeneutics or Greek or, you know, all this deep stuff about context. You know, a lot of the time, <laughs> common sense is what, arguably it might be the most important tool other than being a Christian, I guess. Uh, sincere desire for truth, having faith in God. What I'm saying there is, you know, as you're reading the Scripture, you just have to continually remind yourself this is the Word of God. Right. It is authoritative. It will not contradict. And if it appears to, what that means is you're about to to gain some insight because when you realize what why it does not contradict, Then you have deeper insight. All right. And education. All right. So uh, the bottom line is the smarter you are, probably the, you know, probably you'll be able to understand the Bible better. It kind of seems common sense. So, hey, keep going to school. Keep studying. All that kind of stuff. Okay, good. And then tools. Now, to be honest with you, this list is somewhat outdated because you know what the best tool is for understanding the Bible? It's called the Internet. I, it's amazing. I mean, in fact, I almost never even use my exhaustive analytical concordance anymore. I still use it. But the bottom line is, if I want to find a scripture, uh, I just type in three words. And you know what? I, for some reason, Bible verses are about the easiest thing to search for. That's, it's kind of good, actually. Yeah. If you try to search for scriptures in the Quran, it probably they wouldn't come up as easily. Amen. So uh, th- that's a good thing. All right, and so I think uh whereas 20 or 30 years ago having these tools was almost essential so t- to even begin to really understand the scriptures you don't phys- you don't need physical copies of most of these things honestly. But if you really want to get into it then you probably want to get some of these things, okay? So let me talk about them. Okay. Now the, I don't know, how many of you have a, one of these exhaustive or analytical concordances? All right, see, uh, mostly the older folks. So what that tells me is the younger folks maybe are, possibly it's because you have the internet, you don't need it, or maybe you're, you've are you taken a lazy approach to understanding the scripture. All right, I don't know which, so I just, I don't know, I honestly don't know. All right, but uh, what this is they're, they're going to be kind of thick you know but you can find a used one for 20 bucks somewhere on a you know it's not that it's not that expensive but what it'll do is you you find the word in English and it'll it'll give you the word in Greek or Hebrew and then it'll give you every use of that Greek or Hebrew word in the entire Bible and it'll also give you... All the ways it's translated. Yeah. And that is extremely helpful. Yeah. Alright? And so, if you want to understand... Like I said, you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew. You simply don't. 98% level of what you could come to to understand the Scriptures, you I believe you can achieve without knowing Greek or Hebrew. I mean, you're practically there. But I would say this would be the most important tool... You might want to get one of these. In fact, I think you, you probably should seriously consider getting one of these. Because it's almost like you have the Greek or Hebrew right there. I mean, you know, at least for the meanings of individual words, it's it's right there. So again, the, so it's an exhaustive... Uh, it doesn't have to be exhaustive. So an exhaustive one, they got... 170 pages with all the places that and is in there and but and for you don't need that all right so you can get uh you can get an analytical concordance that's not exhaustive all right because you don't need to know all the scriptures where the preposition ice is there because first of all there's thousands of them and there's so many of them it's like actually i have actually I've actually done that. I've looked up the preposition ice and you can see how many times is it translated as because of or for or you know that kind of stuff. Right, that's the whole Acts 2.38 thing. But anyway, I, uh, Bible dictionaries are useful. Uh, topical Bible. I, I don't use topical Bibles, honestly. I'm, you know, I'm not a topical study kind of guy, but th- they could be useful maybe. An expository dictionary, that's a bit of a specialist thing. I don't think all of you should go out and buy one of those. But basically, uh, it'll do uh, what the analytic concordance does, but it does it in more detail. So uh, generally, uh, maybe the word nuthateo, or or uh, some Greek or Hebrew word, and then it'll do a couple pages on that word, telling you the different nuances of meaning and the different context. All right uh, so for example, Sarks, which in Greek means meat, All right, and the word "meat" shows up in the New Testament pretty often, but it's translated as 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 uh, you know, human nature or, or selfishness all right so uh you know i I myself don't use an uh, expository dictionary that often. I have one, and I use it once in a while all right. uh Greek or Hebrew lexicon, basically a Greek or Hebrew dictionary. I I really don't think you need one of them unless you're really into this stuff because if you have your analytical concordance, you probably don't really need this because an analytical concordance really is... Basically, see that lexicon? This just means dictionary. It's it's fancy words. Just dictionary. Okay, got it. Uh, Commentaries. Yes. You definitely need to start using commentaries. Anybody who has any intention of being a preacher... Uh, and I think teach women equally with men, All right. I think you need to start being willing to use commentaries. Yeah. Yes? Right. What? Do you have any recommendations? No, I do not have any recommendations. I'd say get a good one. <laughs> now, now here, here's my recommendation. Okay. If you want to get a commentary on, say, the book of John, or a commentary on the book of Isaiah, what I'd do is I'd go online... And google uh commentaries on John and there are people who who do this for a living and they'll they'll rate them oh. and they'll just because there's different kinds of commentaries there are commentaries that are primarily how to use this thing for preaching essentially there are commentaries that are how to understand the scriptures, and then there are commentaries that they're, they're ridiculous i mean they're they're you know I t- I tend to sometimes read those ridiculous commentaries because it's kind of my job, but you know there's because they they go, you know, into every possible meaning of every possible word, and, and you know and you know it's you end up having to skip most of it. Okay, uh, but there are different kinds of commentaries, and I would say my opinion is nowhere near as useful as go- going online, and and. For, for every book in the Bible, if you can find uh, lists. Uh, there's, there's ones that seem to pop up right away when you do that, and I've looked at those, and they're awesome. So that's how I pick commentaries. Now, some, some people give you a different thing. Some people say, you need to read this series or that series. <coughs> Fine. That, I, I personally am not systematic about it at all. I have one commentary from this series one commentary from that series, one commentary from the other series. But I'd say if you want to understand a, 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 a particular book of the Bible, you've got to be willing to dig in a little deeper. So you have to be willing to you know, read a commentary which will tell you about the author, about the setting. It'll also give you alternative interpretations. A good commentary will not tell you the author's opinion of what, what that verse means. It'll say... These are different alternative understandings. And they might tell you which one they prefer and why. Uh, Alright, so a commentary uh, is those are useful things. And I think you need to be willing to start using them. Uh, even if you don't need to because of the your particular ministry right now. Alright. Uh, so for example, if you're going to teach a series on Luke, you definitely need to read some commentaries on Luke. Well, I'm guessing most of you aren't really doing that right now, but you just need to start reading commentaries. I would say that. Okay. That's just that's, So I guess the two that I've said are most important then so far are this analytic concordance and some use commentary. See this, homiletic and analytic. In other words, some commentaries are... Probably for most of you, the homiletics are going to be a lot easier to read and probably more useful for you right now. And they'll delve a little bit into some of the underlying interpretation and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, you know, be willing to do some uh, more analytic things. I think that's, that's good. I, when I'm teaching a book in depth, I get usually at least one of both kinds. Uh, another thing is be willing to read commentaries written by people that you probably don't agree with uh, about a lot of things. All right, so, for example, when I was at teaching on Hebrews, I read a commentary by somebody who totally misinterprets it and is, believes in predestination. It was kind of funny to watch the gymnastics this person had to do in order to. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, knowing history, especially church history, all right? I, I think it is useful because as you study church history, what you do is you see how different people interpreted the Bible over times in different settings. And it's, it, it, it's kind of, it gives you the ability to see what somebody else is doing and kind of, oh, okay, I can see why they did that. Because sometimes, you know how you can give advice to somebody else, but you wouldn't give the same advice to yourself, you know what I'm saying? Right, right? you give uh, dating advice, and then you start dating, you do the exact opposite. Not, not that you ever did that, Dan. I don't know why I'm looking at you. but All right, so <laughs> I think studying church history can be useful. And then having a good translation. All right, so let's talk about translation very, very briefly. Very, very briefly. I'm guessing I'm not giving you that much new information here, really. There are different kinds of translations. Now, which is the best kind? The answer is there is no best kind. There is no best kind. Some people, the perfectionists, tell you the only really good translations are the word-for-word ones, like the Revised Standard. American. That is not true. Because sometimes, if you take Greek word to English word, Greek word to English word, it it may be more, in quotes, accurate, but it's not more helpful to understanding the Scripture, which is the only thing that really matters, right? So sometimes phrase for phrase is actually better than word for word. And uh, I I get this all the time, because I'm out and about. People ask, what's the best Bible translation? The best Bible translation is five different translations. That's the best one. And here's why. All right, so Let's say here's a Greek or Hebrew word. There is no English word equal to that word. There's n- literally no English word the same as that word. So one translator will use this word and another translator will use that word. All right, And if you read both of them, you kind of go, all right, man, okay. All right, go- good. Now, now I'm starting to get it. All right, you see what I'm saying? And, and again one translation will use a phrase and if you know which kind you're using it's helpful here if you're using a word for word you say right i'm it's this is word for word so this one here is closer to the actual wording in the original this one is a phrase that's kind of equivalent to that and see, see what i'm saying if you have more than one translation all right that's good Especially if you want to do an in-depth study, I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you that you can never ever present a Bible lesson unless you've read at least three translations. I I don't do that myself. You know what I do mostly? I mostly just read the NIV, and you know, uh, you know, it's it's okay. I, I'm not I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you here, but I I would say this: if you want to understand, you know, if you want to delve more deeply, which hopefully you do want to, though, otherwise, why are you here other than your boss told you to come here? All right. uh, If you want to do that, then you need to consider using multiple translations. There is no best one. There are some worst ones, but we don't use them, so it doesn't matter. Okay. so word for word, phrase for phrase, thought for thought, paraphrase. Now, I'm not, you know, most Bible teachers are not like really super fans of paraphrase. But the honest truth is sometimes paraphrase really it depends what you're trying to do i mean if you just want to read it paraphrase is actually probably better because then you can just read it and you know basically a paraphrase a paraphrase translation is really an interpretation rather than a translation honestly so you got to be careful with paraphrase and hopefully you know that all right but i I don't know i think it has its place even though i I never use them (laughs) honestly but all right great so uh, this is way too much information, all right? But this is kind of your spectrum, okay? Where is NIV? It's right smack dab in the middle, all right? That, that, you know, so, you know, if you're going to... Probably be it in the middle okay, you know? All right, NIV is fine. Uh, my favorite one when I'm trying to interpret is the Holman Christian Standard... And the reason I like that one is their approach is we'll use word for word when that gives a better sense. We'll use phrase for phrase when that gives a better sense. And to me, that's sort of a common sense. That's what everybody should have been doing. But then if everybody's doing that, we wouldn't have the word for word ones to kind of compare. So now, so therefore, you just learned you have to get 26 Bibles. No, uh, three is enough, all right? But I would say you should probably have at least one of these available there uh, amplified uh, they're dry, that drives me absolutely insane i can't use that thing but <laughs> amplified and probably should have at least one of these and you know even one of these kind of have around every once in a while uh, when you're preparing a sermon sometimes you can use one of these to kind of throw something out there this is you know not to maybe excla- explain the scripture but they, maybe sometimes they don't get it. okay any thoughts about because I want to get actually into hermeneutics. I haven't started teaching hermeneutics yet, and I, I kind of want to get there pretty quickly here. So any questions about um, uh, translations? Nope. Okay, really? Well oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> all right. Oh, the number of translators. Uh, they're, they're all good. I, I just say they're all good. Some are slightly better than others, but uh, to me, they're all good, actually. Yeah. What do you think about the CDB, the English Bible? I haven't used it. What do you think about it? I think it's interesting. It's got the extra books of and the and Oh, well, yeah, whether, you know, that's just, why not? Throw in the, throw in the Apocrypha, why not? I mean, it doesn't hurt as long as you know that they're the Apocrypha. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, whether, whether that's in there or not is irrelevant to me. I mean, it's kind of nice to have it in there, personally. Because I use them sometimes, you know, when I'm teaching, and I don't want to to bring an extra Bible along. So, yeah. All right. uh, Which is the best translation? I'm sorry, I should have gone to this uh, uh, slide. I forgot. All right. um, I'll skip that. Uh, By the way, you're not limited to English. You can use an interlinear, you can use a lexicon. You've got these other things, you've got commentaries. Should we stick to the NIV? No, yes, with a line through it. I've heard people say you should use the NIV when you're preaching because then everybody will have the same Bible. I don't. I don't agree with that at all. I admit. I mean, there are you know every once if you read it and use another version every once in a while, people are like what you know. I I admit that, but it, compared to the advantage of having more than one version out there, the the disadvantage is way smaller than the advantage. So. Whoever tells you that, listen to them and then don't do what they say. All right. Just use different versions. Yes. Okay. Yes, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. All right. All right. So some different approaches. How am I doing uh, so far? Okay. Good. Good. Eleven. So we're we, we're going to take a break in about uh, five or ten minutes. Okay. We'll we'll do it in two chunks. All right. Uh, different approaches to doing hermeneutics. All right, uh, uh, the Jewish approach, I won't talk about that, allegorical. In the early church, their primary hermeneutic was allegorical. So what they would do is they would read the scripture and the literal meaning, they didn't like it, so they would find the allegorical meaning behind it. So, you know, they would say that, uh, I don't know, uh, Jesus rode in on a donkey. Well, what's a donkey? A donkey is a thing that that you know carries weights, and so so what what that means is, and all this kind of stuff. All right, now I don't know this. What if you if you read stuff from the very very early church right, right fathers, they do this all the time. You're like, what? Oh, this craziness. All right. Uh, anyway, bad thing to be doing. Okay, uh, basically, out to allegorize is to find meaning in the scriptures. That isn't even there. Uh, it, it, read the notes. Uh, there's a couple pages on this. I don't want to waste our time right now. Uh, it, it, you know, people do do allegorical interpretation, especially of the Song of Songs. Oh, my goodness. They may say it's all an allegory, which I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's actually about sex. All right? It, uh, I mean, it is also, I suppose, about our relationship with God and all that, but I think it's about sex, actually. I'm pretty sure it is. All right? Yeah. So... Um, so, read those pages. I don't want to waste time on that. Uh, now, the historical grammatical approach, uh, This, there, in the early church in Antioch, they said, no, we should, we should analyze the grammar of the scripture. We should look at the historical context. And basically, that's the approach that I'm proposing we should be using here. Historical grammatical approach. Uh, the mystical approach, trying to... Uh, I'm going to skip this thing because I, I think we don't need... You read all that stuff later on, Okay. All right. Uh induction, deduction, revelation, blah blah blah. ah uh, oh, that's okay. Okay, great. Now, uh so an assignment for next week which is to finish reading uh reading the Bible for all its worth, right? Feen Stewart. All right. And then I I want to just give you an assignment which is uh just we're we're not going to get very far. <laughs> we're not going to get very far in our outline of, of the rules for understanding the Bible in terms of the Bible. But I want you to start applying it now. Eventually, uh, how many of you are taking this as uh, like you're taking the class as in you're doing the homework and you're completing the class? How many of you? Okay. You're not sure maybe. Okay, that's fine. So those of you who raised your hand, you're going to be writing a paper. So let me tell you about that assignment right now. So what that's going to involve is you pick either just a two-word phrase or a sentence or a paragraph. You could, you could even take on a whole book, but I think that's probably not a great idea. And so what you're going to do is you're going to be writing a paper where you're going to be analyzing that phrase or sentence or paragraph uh, sort of using hermeneutics, okay? and that, So it's going to be, say, maybe four to six-page paper and I, I want you to, we're going to have 16 rules of of hermeneutics. And I want you to specifically met, reference at least eight of those rules and show how you're applying that rule to this passage, that kind of stuff. So, but but between now and next week, and we can we can share this together. So we'll start, or two weeks from now, what, are, what are, three weeks from now? What, are three weeks from now? Two. I, no, I think it's the 24th that we or 20 whatever yeah Yeah, so three weeks from now all right fine uh so um but i'd like you to do this uh, not to this is i'm not going to be hand this in okay it's not in the syllabus that so this is kind of like homework where it's between you and god and when we ask about it if you put your head down like this i might call on you but uh all right so we're going to do the uh, do a little mini hermeneutics to the book of galatians not not to analyze the whole book But just to do one of the things you want to do when you're understanding a book, which is this stuff here. So I want you to uh, read the book of Galatians, uh, find a theme passage. And a theme passage is a single verse usually, or it could even be part of a verse that encapsulates the entire meaning and message of that book. And try not to look this up. All right, please do this as an exercise, and then maybe after you answer the question, maybe you could look it up and see what somebody else thought a theme passage was. Okay, got it? Everybody understand the concepts of a theme passage? Okay, good. And then, and then, and then also write down your own version. In other words, this says it, but this is how I would say it. So, in one or two sentences, say what you think. The theme and overall message of the book is. Also create an outline. Now, sometimes because every Bible that every, every Bible out there has an outline, right? Doesn't it drive you crazy when they read the little headlines? It's like, no, it's not in the Bible, you know. You know, yes, when you're studying. With, I, I don't know, it, it bothers me. I guess it, don't, it doesn't bother anybody else. I'm the only one bothered by that. So they're reading it, uh, because I am perplexed about you, Hagar and Sarah. That's not in the Bible. Hagar, it's not. In, never mind. I, I thought I would find somebody to agree with me. Okay. Uh, so uh, my point is this. Uh, don't, please don't use their outline. Okay. Uh, maybe block those out. Pretend they're not there. Uh, this is a, a very good exercise. In fact, uh, not an assignment for this class, but you might want to consider in the next year or two writing an outline, say, to every book in the New Testament. That is a great exercise. Okay? And then use a Bible dictionary commentary or other resource to determine the historical and cultural context. All right, so here you can go anywhere you want. And you probably could just use the Internet for this. Because when I wrote this slide... The internet was, it was there already, but it was nowhere near as useful. So, got that? Now, this is not an official homework assignment, as in I'm not going to have you turn it in, you're not going to get any points for it, but I'd like you to do that for two weeks from now, is do that assignment in the book of Galatians. Now, in the process, you may, might even find the verse that you want to do your paper on. Got that? But, so, for those of you who are officially taking this class, you're going to be writing a paper. It's going to be due, I don't know, two or three weeks after the f- class finishes. And the class finishes three weeks from now, by the way. Our Old Testament survey is going to have four classes. This this one only has two, two classes. The entire course is done two classes. Okay, got it? Any question about, number one, the sort of pseudo-homework assignment or uh, maybe anticipating the paper that you're going to be writing? Any questions about that? Another thing is, uh, we're going to have a quiz next time we meet just like a five-minute thing. Uh, I don't know. I haven't written it yet. So it'll just involve maybe something from the book or something from this week's thing, just the notes. Hopefully you are taking notes. And then uh, there's going to be a, uh, like an open book test, sort of very, very short essay, not a long thing, just something that'll take you an hour or two. All right, that, that's, the, that's the whole, the entire grading for this course is that little quiz, that test that you can do in an hour or two, the paper, and then doing the reading. Okay, got it? So now here are our rules of interpretation. All right. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass this out, kind of give you the general idea, and then we'll take our break because we're about to really, honestly, actually start the class to tell the truth. All right. So I think uh, this is worth. Everybody gets a copy. Okay. So we'll just sort of pass them around, pass them around. Okay. So uh, this is kind of like your little handbook. Alright, rules of interpretation. So the principal content in this course is for me to go through each of these in quotes, rules. Alright, and then give you lots of examples and train you how to apply them. And then that's going to be your job is to actually apply them. Okay, got it? Now, by the way, this is not the Bible. This is, you know... Obviously, a lot of people have been trying to understand the Bible for a long time. And and just you know, because I've had people send questions to my website who said, I read your outline and this is not even true. This is not even correct. I mean, it, 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 it turns out there are situations where if you do this, you might not even get the correct interpretation. All right, got it? So this is not biblical. This is... A lot of people have spent a lot of time just trying to apply common sense. How can we best understand the Scriptures? And I, I think I did adapt this. I think I might have even added one to the list or two. All right? Uh, so, uh, nevertheless, I think this is like your handbook, if you will. As much, probably even more than the Steward and Fee book would be a handbook for interpreting the Bible, I'd say this hand that I gave you would be a handout. For, uh, kind of like a a handbook for understanding and interpreting the scriptures, okay? All right. Uh, Let's just say uh, we've been going for an hour and five minutes. Yeah, let's just take a five-minute break. And then we'll start going through these rules. An hour and eight minutes. question. Yeah. <laughs>